0: I have to say, too, like as an actor, one of the biggest transitions into doing radio work like this is uh, honoring the Foley, truth be told, because in our scripts, we have Foley cues that are treated just like any line of dialogue. But one thing that I know I've had trouble with, and I know a number of our actors have had trouble with, is allowing the Foley to happen. And so a lot of times in rehearsals, we have to kind of tell people, hey, you jumped on the Foley. You've got to let the sound effect happen. Because when you listen to, say, like... The Shadow, or if you listen to any of those classic old-time radio, they'll talk, they'll say a line of dialogue, there'll be like a moment of silence, and then you'll hear the footsteps, and then there'll be a moment of silence, and then the dialogue comes back in. And it's like that for almost any sound effect in those old-time shows. So creating space for the Foley to do its thing and to really get a chance to hit so that the audience can, you know, hear it
1: Hello and welcome to Make Your Story, Episode 4, Using Sound to Enhance Storytelling. At this point, we've discussed researching podcasts, interviewing people, and how to market a podcast. But what is yet another way to make your style of storytelling extra special? One element that can really help listeners immerse themselves in your story is the effective use of sound. Sound has always been used to enhance storytelling, even dating back to the tradition of old-time radio in the case of broadcasting audio stories. Predating television shows, old-time radio was a theater of the mind, allowing viewers to imagine the different comedic antics, dramas, and romances portrayed by popular performers of the day. With only dialogue, music, and clever use of live sound effects, many audio-only stories became vividly imagined scenarios in the minds of viewers. This series is a collaboration between the Purdue Libraries and School of Information Studies and the College of Liberal Arts Communication Program. My name is Dr. Annette Bohenek, Assistant Professor of Library Science. And I'm Sarah Huber, Assistant Professor of Library Science. Today, we have two guests from Locked Into Vacancy Entertainment, or Live, who will be sharing their expertise with us in incorporating sound as a storytelling tool. Live is a Chicago comedy group performing original radio plays and songs before a live audience. Each show is a mix of recurring segments, musical numbers, and commercials from fictional sponsors. Some of the featured segments include Kai Beta Justice, The Rogers Sisters, Joe Jupiter Space Private Eye, Generic Hospital, and Clark and Belmont. Joining us today are Live's Foley artist, Ellie Maitland, as well as Live's artistic director and cast member, Andy Huddle. Ellie and Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so so much much for having us. us. (laughs) So can you tell us a bit about your backgrounds and working with Live?
0: So Live was a project of love that a friend Shane Hill and I came up with about Oh my gosh, is it? It's 10 plus years ago at this point. And uh, it was really, Shane grew up listening to all of these old-time radio podcasts, you know, such as The Saint or Prairie Home Companion, you know, uh, all those. Th- the, uh, the Shadow is my personal favorite. He grew up listening to those, and he absolutely he started getting back into them, and he's like, we could do this. We could very easily do this. And so we uh, we got a couple of our friends together. We got a couple scripts, and uh, one December, we performed the radio play version of It's a Wonderful Life, and then we also did <laughs> this very bizarre poem, I guess, about uh, Christmas in Hell. <laughs> It had Caligula. I don't know. It was a strange... It was a strange thing. (laughs) Interesting. Um, Yeah, so we recorded both of those. That was in December, and then in about August, we had gotten a bunch of other people together, and we created a couple scripts, a couple characters, like you said. Kai Beta Justice, Joe Jupiter. You know, when we recorded the show in uh, front of a live audience in a church before a pretty pretty sizable crowd, and unfortunately the generator popped, so we didn't get the full recording of that. The Joys of Live uh, theater. You know, from there we uh, we kind of bounced around to a couple different theaters where we would perform every other month or once a month, performing to our main plays as well as a couple songs and uh, the fake commercials. And then we started uh, podcasting them and putting them out onto uh, the internet. Eventually, the the Queen of Noise Ellie joined us. Just it just got better uh, and better and better from there. She uh, I, I, she she was able to make a car squeal sound using a hot water bottle and to this day I, yeah, (laughs) it just uh, the fact that she got that it just, you listen to it in um, the playback. I wish I could remember the episode off the top of my head but like, she was It was the
2: one where uh, Jonathan Kohler was playing the Joker analog in a Kai Beta Justice. Oh,
0: right the Kidder. Okay, yeah, that was the one with uh, Billionaire Man and um, Um. Right, right, right. And he was the kidder. Yeah. And I, I, to this day, that still is just one of the most mind blowing sound effects I think we've ever done. Cause it just, the, the verisimilitude, it was just unprecedented. It just, it just sounded like car squealing
3: i so flattered, thank you. What, is, what did you use to make that sound? Now I'm so curious. Well,
2: actually, this is gonna get a little bit down the rabbit hole earlier than I was thinking we would. Uh, <laughs> I can get very red-thready and granular about Foley work uh, fast, so stop me if I make no sense. But one of the interesting things is how our idea of sound really has been influenced by pop culture and narrative fiction over the past century especially the past century, simply because everything has gotten codified, recorded, archived because of recorded media, which was never a thing before the past like century or so. And so our idea of what a car tire squeal sounds like, unless we've been unfortunate enough to actually be in the receiving end of a car accident, is pretty much dictated by what we've seen in movies and tv and cartoons and that is actually created the same way i created it for the show which is using a uh, rubber water bottle like the old timey folks would use uh to keep warm in the winter and just dragging it across a surface like this
3: that's awesome and I got
2: that from Kane Doyle um I'm probably butchering the pronunciation She is the Foley artist on Game of Thrones and she was doing a featurette for the series and just puttering around her studio and then went oh this is a fun thing to show off I mean not that there are many tires breeze wheels and car chases in Game of Thrones but she still had it handy
0: man those those final season car chases in Game of Thrones were just
2: it's wild
0: yeah
2: (laughs) Yeah, once the dragon got the Mach 8 it was pretty (laughs) intense.
3: Curious, Andy, like, did you guys have backgrounds in sound? You know, what led you to say, we can do this and just jump in?
0: (laughs) Hubris is the short answer. We said, you know what, we're going to do this and we're going to figure it out. Shane has a superpower and that is surrounding himself by absolutely incredibly talented people. We had a, a stage manager whose boyfriend, you know, we handed him a script and he just said, okay, and he just kind of rolled with it. And, uh, you know, the the first image of him showing up at rehearsal with pool noodles and just light up guns and doohickeys and thingamabobs and just... <laughs> I Since then, I'm no longer really surprised what Foley artists come up with. But that first rehearsal, we were all just... we Our jaws just sort of dropped and we're like, how is that going to make that sound? Like, that does not what that of course like during the actual production it just sort of happened as to how we thought you know we could do it i don't know uh we were looking for new theatrical opportunities for ourselves truth be told (laughs) we were just like you know i'm not doing anything what do you want to do i don't know
2: I've been an actor since I was in my tween. That's when I started studying theater and comedy. And I have an acting degree from Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas. And one of the first things they tell you when you uh, are in your freshman year in SMU in acting is be ready to move somewhere else when you graduate because there's not enough theater to sustain a career here. And I was really intrigued by the Chicago scene starting in probably my sophomore year when uh, some of the graduating class did a production of too much light makes the baby go blind, what is now done by the infinite wrench. I was really impressed with the speed at which they created all of these stories that were supposed to be on a weekly basis to reflect where we were as a society and as individuals. So I was really impressed with how quickly they were creating all of these things and the very fly-by-night nature of what they were doing. And so I started stockpiling sweaters when I was in my junior year of college I realized <laughs> I was in Chicago where they had winter and I had never been through one of those before. So, I started working also with people that I went to college with at a company called The House Cedar Chicago, which is pretty much defined by a high fantasy and spectacle aesthetic, but they also do things in a very, what they consider a Brechtian way, where the audience is complicit in what's going on on stage. They can see how everything fits together, which even though like the spectacle is not being hidden from them. Like if they had flying samurai on stage, you would see the people that were pulling the ropes to help them fly across the stage back and forth. And that gives the audience another level of investment in the story because you're watching everything come together to make that story work, which means you care more about it working. And I think that's another thing that's really interesting about where we are in history right now. Again, because everything is so recorded and so accessible, that means that we have like narrative conventions that become canonized and then cliche faster than we ever have before and that means that we're all we're so familiar with the what of stories and so we get to be more adventurous with how those stories are told
3: wow that's fascinating i haven't heard that description before thank you that's really interesting can you explain what Foley art is?
2: Absolutely. Um, this will be the Nickelodeon version. So I'll be doing a little bit of history as well as the definition. Now Foley is originally a film term and the best way to describe it or try to define it the way it is used nowadays is that uh, it is sound effects that are custom, which means they are for a specific piece uh, created for that piece. like. You can then bank those sounds and add them to a sound library, but it's only Foley the first time. If you're reusing something later, then it's become a sound cue. The Wilhelm scream would be a very good example of that, although that's voiceover rather than Foley. We'll get to that later. The next thing would be that they are practical. They are sound effects that are manipulated by an artist. You could do a field recording of a waterfall, but that's that's not Foley. That, that is a sound effect. That is a field recording. And also the last thing would be It is synced with the the action of the story. And there are different ways that that is relevant to radio theater or to theater than it is to film and TV. But it is still able to be applied to radio and stagecraft at this point. And we get so many of the disciplines or techniques from millennia of theater that have been incorporated into film at this point that while it started with film, you hear it used a lot more nowadays because the ways that we are creating this medium, it's been much more accessible and democratized because everyone has a camera phone. So everyone has the capability to create this kind of storytelling, which is also really, really cool. Um, So why do we we call it Foley? Uh, We call it Foley because in the 1920s, When film houses or production companies like Universal and Power Paramount and Warner Brothers were in their heyday, they were just creating silent films, which doesn't mean that they were watched silently. It just means they didn't have an audio track on them. Now, in 1928, I think Warner Brothers released the jazz singer, complete with actual jazz singing. And so that was such a hit that the other production houses knew they were going to have to also incorporate sound into their stories to stay competitive. And the same summer that The Jazz Singer came out, Universal Pictures was planning on releasing a uh, silent film adaptation of the same story as the musical Showboat. But if they were doing a silent showboat alongside The Jazz Singer, They knew that wasn't going to fly and so i imagine that carl Lamley, the cfo of universal pictures at the time comes bursting in jack foley's office chopping on a cigar and says foley you gotta make this bird sing now the reason why i came to jack foley in this instance is that before he worked as an interstitials director at universal jack foley was a radio man or at least there's enough uh, arguments and evidence online to suggest that which i think makes a lot more sense than the American ideal of, no, no, he sprung from Zeus's head, fully formed with a bag of cornstarch in one hand and an egg beater in the other. No, the truth of it is we are all magpies. We're all stealing the shiniest things we see from other artists that we admire and doing what we can to make it our own. And that's where a lot of the magic happens. And that's another one of the reasons why we continue to make these pieces of story and pieces of artwork, even to this day.
0: One of the things that I that I really truly love about it is that, uh, when done well, the Foley is another character within the radio play. I mean, if you'll see like a movie like Lost in Translation, for example, like Japan in and of itself is a character within the movie. Um, Midnight in Paris, Paris is like its own character. And, uh, you know, very much so the Foley and the music, uh, they're they are alternate, you know, they're just extra characters within. And once once I started writing scripts, with that in mind, I really feel like things, uh, things really started gelling, so much so that we actually eventually created a character in a generic hospital named Dr. Foley, who would only respond and only communicate through sound effects.
3: No, well, this is really helpful because when you said, Ellie, sound effects is different than Foley art. I, this I think this is helping me understand it to think of it as a character in itself has a life in itself as as opposed to a complement to an action. Is that?
2: Um, it really depends on what the Foley is meant to augment. That's a really good question, Sarah. Um when I'm doing stuff on stage too, like we are working under different standards typically than we are uh, in a film or studio context, like in a studio presentation or production like a film or like, uh, traditionally created podcasts, you're probably going to be using elements both of sound design and of Foley. And I do want to make sure that I point out that all Foley artists are sound designers. Not all sound designers are Foley artists simply because it is a niche within a niche in a discipline. And when uh, I am Foleying the sounds of a character on stage, then I am acting as an extension of that character. And so there are elements of clown and there are elements of puppetry in the way that I'm performing those sound effects as well. I want to make sure that I am creating something that is consistent with the actor's idea of that characterization. If they're supposed to be shutting a door, there's a big difference between whether or not their character thinks they would slam it or shut it gently. And so we want to make sure that we're reflecting that sort of thing. Whereas if I am creating the world affecting that character, that means a different type of focus and does mean that I am now a separate character inhabiting that world with them. So I will say that um, I didn't grow up listening to OTR, old-timey radio, like a lot of my colleagues did. I had mostly seen the discipline lampshaded or parodied on sitcoms, like at the risk of dating myself. I remember that episode of Punky Brewster where she did a radio play and that episode of Frasier where he did a radio play and The Simpsons as well. But I was seeing a show at the American Theatre Company in 2006 called Kid Simple that had a sound practitioner on stage creating all the sound effects that went along with the story and helped move the story and build the world for these characters to inhabit. And I was fascinated because unlike with these sitcoms where they would say, set up a laugh line and then jump cut to the Foley practitioner doing something ridiculous for that to be a shtick more than a discipline, This artist, Scotty Azzeri, is working without the luxury of a jump cut, which also meant that he was being very mindful how he was arraying his props uh, and revealing them to the audience so he wouldn't be spoiling story points moving forward in case anyone was watching him instead of the actors that were doing the rest of the scene work. And I was so fascinated by what he was doing that that was basically my gateway into falling in love with this discipline. And I just started googling anytime something was going to be on the chicago stage that involved uh the the words radio theater or audio drama or live foley and watching them whenever i could and then i fell in with a theater company that had a live horror audio drama show that was an anthology that they took open submissions for every year. And that was when I finally got my opportunity at the table and I just hung on for dear life since then. Totally, and it's also important to know that um, while Foley's name was the one that stuck, there were other really important people doing that kind of work around the same time. Uh, Jimmy McDonald was basically Walt Disney Studios' version of Jack Foley. And he was a musician, he was a drummer, and he was also an engineer. So that meant that he had a lot of musicality in the ways that he was creating these sounds for the cartoons. He was also an inventor. He was creating lots of these crazy contraptions that were also going to be incorporated. Like there's a great photo of him tuning brake drums from different sized vehicles that are ultimately going to become the chimes in Big Ben and Peter Pan. Another thing, if you remember Alice in Wonderland, when they smashed the White Rabbit's watch and it kind of winds down and it... until it dies. The way he created that sound was by putting a metal nut inside an inflated balloon and just like whipping it around. So it got its own momentum and was creating that screaming, whining kind of sound on its own. Uh, I also love Oren Nichols, who was a member of the trap drumming circuit on vaudeville with the, and with the silent films before she went into radio, and she was a member of the Mercury Theater on the Air with Orson Welles, and she created the sounds of the original War of the Worlds broadcast, Um, and one of the things that uh, we most associate with her creativity, she was also very into the idea of the sound rather than the actual thing created in the sound, which was something that really made her and Orson Welles butt heads, but a great time when she got her way was when the Martian craft's lid was unscrewing, we don't have one of those laying around. And so instead she was unscrewing a jelly jar inside an empty toilet tank. So we would reverberate in a way that made it sound much more larger and more imposing.
0: This sounds like a
3: good student competition. What is, you know, like what is using the simplest items around your house? Can you create such and such sound? Who does it the best? You know, send in, send in the recording and the description of how you did it.
0: Now, if you're doing that in Ellie's house, you've got a a distinct advantage. (laughs) Um, I do have a different idea of what would
2: constitute a common household object. But (laughs) that is one of my favorite things also when we're talking about the types of props that we use for this kind of work. There are things that are custom builds, things that are built for the job. Um, For example, I'm going to pull out a marching machine. Which is a series of wooden pegs that are lashed together that you roll to be the sound of soldiers market, marching in lockstep. Did that come through?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Now, Ellie, when Locked Into Vacancy happened to produce their own version of War in the Worlds uh, Mm -hmm. in association with the uh, Chicago Public Library, and uh, we performed that for the anniversary show on uh, Halloween a few years back, what did you do to create the unscrewing of the ship?
2: Oh, no, you're putting me on the spot. It's been so (laughs) many years and so many shows ago, but I'm almost certain... I would have done something involving one of those singing or prayer bowls Mm -hmm. for the sound of like something big and otherworldly and ethereal kind of emanating from the craft. And then probably something with crockery, like big metal crockery, like unscrewing itself. And then the reveal of the monster itself with lots of vocal effects and slapping on on the metal as well to be like the multi-tentacle creature slapping around and flapping around.
0: That is exactly what you did. That is your (laughs) correct. So this was a, this was a test and you passed. Great.
2: I also want to say it comes, there are things like custom builds Mm -hmm. and then there are musical instruments that show up very prominently in this kind of work as well. There are wonderful resources on YouTube of people just clowning around and creating like all these different kinds of effects with their violin or with their tuba or with any other kind of instrument. Or my favorite thing, which I think you'd also appreciate, Sarah, are found objects because that for me is the most satisfying thing to present to an audience because when they have a a previous relationship to one of these objects and then they're seeing it recontextualized like this, I think it tickles the same part of your brain that enjoys puns or plays on words by forcing something conventional or cliche into a new context. And it's a nice way of bringing that theatrical magic home with you as well.
3: It surprises you to see something in a different perspective.
2: Exactly. I spent most of my time in the before times when I wasn't working on a specific project, you know, just living my life, squeezing stuff that I would find at grocery stores or hardware stores or toy stores. And one of my favorite examples of that would be for the audience at home. A couple of plastic unicorn toys and I just happened to grab one at Party City and give it a squeeze and I was so impressed because I was looking for seagulls for a beach scape so then I could go and partner that with one of those musical instruments I was talking about this is an ocean drum this is the version that I found is most applicable to stage work because larger than this this is probably 12 inches across. I've got one that's 16 inches across that I always try to bring into theatres and they say, no, it's too loud. It's a cylinder uh, that is closed on both sides and filled with ball bearings. And you can find them in a lot of world instrument stores as well. I think Remo makes them. So if you play that like ocean waves and overlay those seagulls, that can be really satisfying for a beach environment with your voice actors.
1: Do you have a favorite sound you like to create?
2: No, don't make me choose. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I I love the challenge
2: of coming up with new sounds, which more often than not end up being combinations of different sounds that I've created in the past as well. I really like um, doing sustained rainfall, which I like to start that with a rain stick, which is another traditional world instrument. It's very similar in theory to an ocean drum, but instead of being a cylinder, it's a long tube that you're listening to seeds ping off each other as they cascade down to the bottom. And so the size of that will dictate how long your rainfall can be. But if I start with that and then layer it in with Alka-Seltzer, effervescing in soda water, then that gives me similar enough soundscape that one sounds like the start of a rainstorm and the other sounds like a sustain that I can then fade out as I see fit. I also, like I said, I really like doing things with found objects that the audience will recognize. I also really love playing with goblets of water. Let's see if I can get this to cooperate. And if you have one that's irregularly shaped, I'm kind of moving it back and forth to change the configuration of the water at the top so it's giving you those different those changes in, sh- in pitch so that can be a really fun thing to do if you're playing with something otherworldly something magical or uh, maybe a transition from the past one of the reasons why i love doing clark and belmont and also soltac wandering barbarian is because they usually have lots of fun science fictiony or fantastical sounds that don't exist in real life with contemporary or modern modern counterparts One of my favorite things ever that Andy's actually let me do was, and this is one of the reasons why I love doing original works as well, um, I fancy myself a playwright as well, and so I like to have a relationship with the playwright where I can be suggesting things for the sake of making it more relevant to the medium of audio drama. And one of the Clark and Belmonts that we did was an homage to Around the World in 80 Days. So we had this big, glorious, steampunky um, airship that had been alluded to a couple of times. It's like, oh, no, please, we need to hear it start. Please, please, can we have it take off and start? And so for that, I incorporated a big old metal hinge and really big metal glide bolt and then manual egg beater and also the sound of compressed air. And also the sound of a thunder tube, which is a stringed drum that reverberates to give you kind of a low rumble, like the engine is continuing to go. And also the sound of wings, because of course it's a big ridiculous airship from the Victorian era, so it would have wings. And that was the sound of two dish towels being flapped as it was continuing on its way.
0: We we had a, an, a small army helping to do this one particular moment, and it was one of those you know, it just shows like how collaborative our what we do is. In that, that scene wasn't written, and then it ended up being one of my favorite parts of that entire episode. Is uh, you know, after Ellie bats her eyes and begs uh, and bleeds, you know, we end up, uh, <laughs> we end up, we end up creating what I think is just a, a really cool moment because you know, obviously this is all audio drama, but we do perform these live, and getting to see all of this getting to see the actual like optics of this being created is really neat too because you had people flapping dish towels you had somebody with the egg beater you had somebody with you know and then you have ellie doing about like three things at once like she's the uh, one-man band pretty much and then getting to hear it back later you know it's like you can't help but like but visualize you know in the theater of the mind like what does this steamship look like? Because you hear, even though we don't say, well, you know, there's the steamship. It has 38 wings. It has a gyroscope outside. It's got this, it's got this, it's got this. But just by the sound effects influence the listener's mental image of whatever it is that we're showing them, which I think is... uh of the coolest one of the coolest things and i think that's where like clark and belmont and tholtac uh really lends itself to just the some of the coolest moments and some of the most unique audio experiences that we've produced
2: and to piggyback also on the stagecraft of it a good question to field or to consider is that the resources you have for the complexity in your soundscape often involve how much uh, how many pairs of hands you have at your disposal. And so I'm not shy about drafting different members of the cast if they're not in the middle of a dialogue heavy scene and helping me every once in a while with more elaborate effect. But one of the things I really liked about the airship in particular was two of the characters that Andy had added into the mix for this story were the Wright brothers. And so we had them on the flapping of the wings, which felt like a a fun little dramaturgical Easter egg as well.
1: So what was one of your most challenging moments in creating or using sound effects?
2: Well, definitely the airship would fall in that category because I knew I was excited about it and I wasn't sure I was going to have all the personnel I needed to pull it off. And so I was really lucky with that. The writer that does most of the Thaltak Wandering Barbarian scripts without fail likes to try to put at least one or two impossible things in all the scripts. I have little spreadsheets that I break down.
0: Let me categorize that a little bit. In the stage directions, we have for Foley, Rob McLemore is the writer's name, and he will very specifically say, I don't know, some sort of big, loud hippo crashing through a glass chandelier or something. I don't know. Sorry, Ellie.
2: And so in response to the spreadsheets that I use to do all of my creative breakdowns for the sound effects, we'll probably have something in there like, Rob's trying to kill me. But he also, one of his commercial parodies was Somebody's House of Foley and that was probably the one that had the sound effect of a cat falling down the stairs while screaming french and so it's always just about breaking down the individual sounds and sometimes you need multiple props to create the sound of something that would uh be a single object in real life so that's also going to be something that requires a fair amount of forward thought and also as much rehearsal as you can trick your colleagues into giving you in the space and in the same time as the voice actors are going to be having their own relationship to these sounds so you can do some intense cueing actually i would say um, doing fight scene breakdowns is one of the most challenging things because you also need to really carefully choreograph with your voice actors where their exertion sounds and where their reaction sounds are going to be folded into whatever it is you're doing at the table. You're going to have like your body blow sounds, which will probably be something like, depending on the resources you have and whether or not it's studio or stage and you have time for clean up or things like that. You might have just a boxing glove and maybe a pair of shoes to smack a pair of blue jeans or something big and durable and sturdy with or you might be breaking some bones, which are gonna be celery and carrots, or you might be uh, tearing someone's throat out, which would be a head of lettuce, or maybe bashing someone's head in, which would be a head of cabbage. And there are a lot of little things that you can be doing to protect yourself when you're in the heat of the moment and dealing with show adrenaline, so you're not grabbing the wrong thing at the wrong time. One of the reasons why you may notice that with all the produce I just mentioned, it was all vegetables, That's because I always avoid fruit when I can on fully live shows because fruit has sugar and it'll make everything around it sticky once it starts getting its juices everywhere. Another thing is if I've got a big violent show that involves both that throw takeout and uh, head bashing, I'm going to always make sure that anytime I use cabbage in a play or production, it's going to be red cabbage because that way I always know which one is the cabbage. So little things that you can do to help yourself in the in the past, for the moment are always really, really good.
0: I have to say too, like as an actor, one of the biggest transitions into doing radio work like this is uh, honoring the Foley. Truth be told, because in our scripts, we have Foley cues that are treated just like any line of dialogue. But one thing that I know I've had trouble with, and I know a number of our actors have had trouble with, is allowing the Foley to happen. And so a lot of times in rehearsals, we have to kind of tell people, hey, you jumped on the Foley, you've gotta let the sound effect happen. Because when you listen to say like The Shadow, or if you listen to any of those classic old time radio, they'll talk, they'll say a line of dialogue, There'll be like a moment of silence, and then you'll hear the footsteps, and then there'll be a moment of silence, and then the dialogue comes back in. And it's like that for almost any sound effect in those old-time shows. So creating space for the Foley to do its thing and to really get a chance to hit so that the audience can hear it, because the the audio balance is one thing that was also... we had to We had to kind of learn how to balance the Foley... And the music and the microphones, because sometimes the piano would get way too loud. You know, in the, um, we've had a very, very talented sound technician, uh, Jesse Schroeder. We've had a number of them over the years who we've worked with. We have dedicated mics set up just for Foley so that in the theater, we can bump it up where we need to, but then we can also adjust it after the fact for the podcast. So what you hear in the podcast isn't necessarily what you heard. And then you have the horrible, horrible laughter of an audience, which can sometimes just completely take over and cause you to miss all sorts of things. So always the balance of all of those audio elements. It's very, very tricky when you're not used to that fully being another character, like I was saying before.
2: Someone that I learned some of my craft from early on, I still quote every time I'm working with, with actors on a new project or if I'm running a workshop at a university. I always say the trick for voice actors is to make room for the sound, but not to wait for the sound. So if you've got two of the big uh, ways to think about sound effects would be plot sounds versus story sounds. So story sounds are just building the world of the story. They're background things that aren't necessarily moving the plot of the story forward. Whereas plot sounds would be, oh no, look out, he's got a gun. Bang, he shot someone. So if you don't hear a bang, but you still say, he shot someone, it doesn't have the same kind of punch unless you're like, he had a silencer. That's one of the other reasons why I'm super grateful that Locked in the Vacancy is a comedy outfit that also has a bunch of people that have cut their teeth in improv and in Renaissance fairs where they're doing all these really crazy things and taking risks and helping the story still move forward when things don't work out entirely the way we want them to.
0: <laughs> which, which happens less often than always.
3: Well, that's what I've been thinking. It's just, it sounds like improv is in there for sure or needed at times.
2: Very much so. Well it's about active listening more than it is anything else which is great for any actor or uh, stage performer to have in their back pocket. They want to make sure that they're being true to the story as it's going right now even if it's not 100% the way that that was rehearsed. And that's another one of the reasons why live sound is great to incorporate into the show as early as possible. A lot of actors are used to just getting the sound effects into the story at tech Which I also think is kind of a lost opportunity because there are so many different ways that the way things sounds really inform your character and the sense of the world that you're inhabiting in really, really cool ways.
3: Are there some activities? Are there resources? You mentioned YouTube videos. Maybe there's websites, books, anything to help students moving towards this into their podcasts. Yeah, when uh,
2: when I said YouTube, um, specifically like lots of sci-fi and fantasy films and stories will have making of featurettes and sound work is usually some of the most exciting stuff that you're going to get to see in all those featurettes as well. Since we seem to have gone past the days of the DVD, if any of your students are Old enough to remember what those were. A lot of the stuff can be found on YouTube or on streaming services, and so even if it's just a matter of films that they like and would be curious about, it never hurts to just be like, "Well, it's available on this." Um, Let's see, David Fincher as a director is always really, really diligent with his sound work, and so you find some really cool, cool stuff out there about Fight Club and about Panic Room and a bunch of other films. Um, The Coen Brothers as well. Like if you just think about the painstaking effect that on the narrative the air compressor sound has in No Country for Old Men. That's another thing just to revisit and think about from the perspective of the sound artist in a cool way that really augments your appreciation of the storytelling. Another thing, uh, let's see, two major sources as far as books are concerned, I love the writings of Robert L. Mott. He was a radio man who was active in the 20s through 60s, I want to say, uh, until he passed away. And he was great about like his own anecdotes. And he also interviewed a lot of his peers. So he's got great uh, experiences that are going to be really resonant to artists working today still as well about the trial and error that goes into this creative kind of work. And also some practical advice for all of those students as well. Another thing about how Foley has been uh, kind of, taken back into its theatrical roots, even though it started as a stage term, as a film term, is that Robert Mott never uses the word Foley in, a, in any of his writings. He considered himself a sound effects man, or radio man, or a sound artist, but Foley wasn't really considered uh, even a film term until after Jack Foley passed away in the 60s. There's also the definitive book on Foley work is The Foley Grail by Vanessa Theme Ament, who was a professor at Ball State University. It, we just got the third edition of The Foley Grail, is now available as of November, and I might be in there as well in the section on radio theater. I would also recommend checking out on Facebook. There is a group for Foley artists that now has over 6,000 members in it. And not only is it a great place for people to commune and to share very cool videos and effects and ask questions, but John Resch, who is the Foley artist for Pixar and Skywalker Sound, has pretty regular interviews with big figures in the field as well. We got to interview the folks that did the Oscar-winning sound for Sound of Metal last year, and so you get to learn really, really cool things from people working in this medium.
0: Uh, I would also uh, recommend, just so you can kind of see how all the pieces kind of come together, there's a 2012 film called What About Dick, and it is a live performance of a radio play, and it features Eddie Izzard, Tim Curry, Billy Connolly, Russell Brand, Tracy Ullman, Jane uh, Daphne from Frasier. I'm, I'm am like, leads. Thank you. And they, they perform everything um, over a series of a couple nights, so they were kind of able to splice it together, but you've got live music, you've got Laugh Foley, and you've got all the actors in front of the mics performing, and... It shows you really, really well how a radio show like that all kind of comes together in a performance like that. Since we used you used to be able to go downtown to see a radio show get performed, but nowadays there aren't as many of those as there used to be. But it's so funny too. Uh, highly, highly, highly recommend. What about? I think
2: it's still available on Netflix, if I remember
0: correctly. Uh, Netflix, you are correct. It is currently on Netflix.
2: Uh, And as exercises of concern, if your students are interested in writing radio plays, start out with things like, what are their favorite sounds? What would they be interested in hearing as a prompt for a story? Or thinking about uh, what stories they're already excited by and how sounds can inform those. Or if they are already in the practice of listening to podcasts or uh, radio theater. I find it really helpful to itemize the sounds that you're hearing listen to and think about what sort of emotional reaction you're having to them and then brainstorm how you would create those sounds on your own or listen and think about what sounds they sound like because the context of the sound sometimes influences what it actually is or vice versa there are a lot of things that we reuse prop-wise in sound that just depending on how we're manipulating the sound or what we expect it to be in the story itself tell us what that sound is. I'll go back to something that uh, Andy was saying earlier. There's this great, possibly apocryphal story about when televisions were coming into everyone's homes for the first time and that was taking over as the go-to family entertainment instead of the, the radio. And this little boy was being interviewed and the interviewer said, which do you prefer radio or television and the little boy said i like radio the pictures are better so it's all about building those ideas the story in theater of the mind
0: uh radio days radio days is another good film that Mm -hmm. uh features some really great moments of radio drama and uh (laughs) some really fun uh characters and different different takes of how radio really uh was a member of the family, kind of back in the uh, the 30s and 40s. I loved that movie. It's yeah, so good. Me too.
1: So, uh, where can we access live episodes and hear more of your work?
0: Yeah, we are on Spotify, iTunes, pretty much uh, anywhere where you get your podcasts. You can look up uh, "Locked Into Vacancy" or L.I.V.E. dot uh, radio show. Uh, that'll also come up. Those are uh, pretty much like the main the main ways uh, right now. You can also access our Facebook page, which does have links as well. Uh, but pretty much, I think Spotify is going to be the best place for all of your locked into vacancy needs.
1: Awesome. Well, Ellie and Andy, thank you so much for joining us today to share your experiences.
0: Yeah, Thanks thank you so much for having us.
3: And thank you to our listeners for tuning into this episode of Make Your Story. Listen to our past episodes and be on the lookout for new ones on the Make Your Story website at lib.purdue.edu forward slash maker podcast. And last but not least, we'll be doing another call out in early April for student episodes on, on your stories of making. There will be a $100 gift card awarded to the three students who best meet the criteria that will be posted with the call out. So start preparing your episodes and be looking for that call out.